This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. And it was like that little girl saying, I thank thee that I am not a liar, even as she is. Okay? That's a non-starter with God. That goes nowhere. Because when the people said, we have sinned, they were not saying they were good sinners. They were not, they, they were not saying we're, we're not so bad sinners. They were saying we're dirty, rotten sinners. We're dirty, rotten sinners. That's a starting point with God. That's where God says, okay, I heard you say it. You're a dirty, rotten sinner. When God hears that, then God says, all right now, let's get to work. Let's get this sinner saved from his sins and let's get him transformed in the Lord Jesus Christ. But until God hears a person say that, I'm a sinner, then God says, okay, I'm waiting. And then when he hears it, he says, oh, that's what I've been waiting to hear. And when they came to confess their sin, it was not just a hollow, we're sorry. You know, it was, it was not just a sorry or apologize. You know, the question is, sorry for what? It was not just an indefinite, sorry about that, sorry about that, sorry about that. It was sorry specifically for what? And being specific in the confession is what, is what the people are doing here in verse seven when it says, therefore the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. That was specific. They confessed their specific sin that they had complained and they accused God of trying to kill them in the desert when they said, we have spoken against the Lord. It's so important to confess to God the sins. That's why at the CEF booth, I always ask the kids if they've ever lied. And then when I transition into praying, to praying the sinner's prayer with the kids, I tell them, I said, now you all told me that you lied. I heard you say it. You, I, you, all of you told me that you lied. Now it's time to turn, tell God. Now it's time to tell God, not just me. You gotta tell God. He needs to hear you say, I have lied. I am a sinner before he can save you. And the people not only confessed that they had sinned against God, but they also extended their confession to include Moses when they said, you know, we have sinned, we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Sometimes it's easier to confess sins to God that you can't see than it is to confess a sin to another person. 
And that shows a real genuineness when a person goes to another person and says, I've wronged you. I've wronged you when I did this to you. I'm asking for your forgiveness for this. And this is what we're told to do in James 5.16. James 5.16, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. You know, when the people came to be baptized by John the Baptist in the River Jordan, they didn't just appear there and said, oh, I want to be baptized. You know, that's not what happened. It says in Matthew 3, 5, Matthew 3, 5, they went out, then went out to him, Jerusalem, and all Judea, and all the region round about, and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. As they were baptized, they were confessing their sins. You can just picture it. They're going, that's an amazing scene. People lined up there, without doubt, in tears, telling everyone around them, and John the Baptist, you know, what, exactly what the sins were that made them dirty, rotten sinners. I have stolen, I have lied, I gave false witness, I hated. They were just profusely confessing. And then they were baptized as a statement that they were finished with that old life of sin. They were, uh, they were finished with that life of running away from God. And now, as they get baptized, now they're running to God. And they look forward to a new life of walking with God. That's why when we built the, 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 the baptism pool in, in the Takati Auditorium there, I thought, this is gonna be, because Takati, a lot of sin. I thought there's gonna be great groups of people coming for baptism. I was, anyway, I was not correct. But, so I, I had them build 28 changing rooms and a pool, a baptism pool, large enough for 10 people so that five people could be baptized at a time. Well, I hope it does get that way, but so far it's not, but that's it. we're ready if it does. And the baptism pond there, pool there, is so elevated that when a person comes out, he's in view of all the auditorium, all 2,000 seats. Everybody can see him there standing there. A microphone hangs down from the ceiling so that he can confess his sins before being baptized. But the people here confessed their sins against God and against Moses in verse seven because they knew when they dishonored Moses, they dishonored God. And the same is true of the Lord Jesus Christ. When a person dishonors the Lord Jesus Christ by using his name in vain, like a swearing, then he's dishonoring God, as the Lord Jesus said in John 5, 23, John 5, 23, that all men should honor the Son even as they honor the Father, he that honoreth not the Son, honoreth not the Father which hath sent him. And then in John 15, 23, John 15, 23, he that hateth me, hateth my Father also. We heard Eric talk about Walter, the Jewish man from Pennsylvania, from Pittsburgh, from Pittsburgh, and he was contacted, as he said, in the Summer Blitz of 2013, and he believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, but he's neglected to read the Bible, to go to church, and then over time, he's, he's worried about losing his salvation. He's gotten depressed. He had a lot of questions. We sent him the Friendship with God Bible and lots of materials. He struggled for 10 months, and then he calls, and what does he do when he calls? He profusely apologizes, apologizes for not calling us back, and he's so thankful. Now he's studying and reading the Bible, and he's witnessing, as he said, to his Jewish community and wearing the shirt Jesus loves you. He's on fire for the Lord. But he felt compelled to call 
and apologize and confess for neglecting what we had sent to him and not obeying the Lord. The people of Israel here felt compelled to confess their sin about speaking against God, against Moses. Now in verse seven, it's interesting when it says, the people came to Moses. I mean, the people had before uh, wanted to stone Moses. So if Moses was a person who was easily offended, that would not be a good idea for them to go to Moses now. But even though the people had offended Moses, they still felt confident that Moses would forgive them because that was the kind of person Moses was. You know, it says in the Bible, they that love thy law, great peace have they that love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. And that was Moses. And Moses was a meek man, therefore he was a forgiving man because proud people don't forgive others. But Moses was, as it says in Numbers 12.3, Numbers 12.3, the man Moses was very meek above all men which are upon the face of the earth. So what did, the Lord, what did they say to Moses when they came to Moses? Well, they said in verse seven, pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. You know what they knew at that point? They knew we need an intercessor. We can't go to God directly. We don't wanna go to God directly. He just sent us the fiery serpents. We need an intercessor. And today, you know what the Jewish people oftentimes say? They say, we don't need an intercessor. We don't need somebody in between. We go to God directly. We don't need anyone like Jesus. Well, that's not what their ancestors thought. And they knew that they needed an intercessor between them and God, an intercessor who would pray for them. We know that too. We know that too. We know we need an intercessor. And we have one in the Lord Jesus Christ, as it says in Romans 8.34, Romans 8.34, who's he that condemneth? It's Christ that died. Yea, rather, it is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who maketh intercession for us. In Hebrews 7.25, Hebrews 7.25, he's able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them, for them. Hebrews 9.24, Hebrews 9.24, Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. All these words, for us, for us, for us. 1 Timothy 2.5, 1 Timothy 2.5, there's one God, there's one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. Moses was the, person who stepped in between the people and God. He was the faithful intercessor, as we read here in verse seven. Moses prayed for the people. Reminds of the Lord Jesus Christ, he's on the cross. He's an intercessor when he's on the cross. In Luke 23, 24, 23, 34, Luke 23, 34, when it says, then said Jesus, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And then they parted his garments, cast lots. He was in being an intercessor there. So God answers. God answers in verse eight. The Lord said, make thee fiery serpent, set it on a pole, come to pass everyone that's bitten. When you look upon it, she'll live. How simple, how very simple is this remedy that God gave to Moses? He's to make the serpent. He's to put it on a pole so that, that all that anyone had to do that was bitten by a snake was just simply look at the snake. I mean, what we see here is that, first of all, it was not enough for the people to just confess their sins and turn away from their sins. Now they had a responsibility. 
which they had to look at this serpent on the pole. Today, it's not enough for people to confess and turn away from their sins to be saved from the eternal consequences of their sin. They must call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. As he said, it said in John 14.6, John 14.6, when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And if someone in that group there ridiculed Moses and God and said, a serpent on a pole? You've got to be kidding. I need a doctor. You know, if someone said that, they'd be like Naaman, the leper who was told by the prophet, go wash in the Jordan seven times and you'll be healed from your leprosy. And he ridiculed it. And he said, Jordan, that little muddy river, we have much greater rivers in Syria. Okay, then be a leper. And if someone said that, this is ridiculous to look at a serpent on a pole. The venom keeps working. The venom keeps killing. And it's gonna be soon, it's gonna be too late, like with the goats. And so God does not automatically save a person. A person has to exercise his own will. And God does not do that for man. That's 100% man's responsibility. But God, God made what man had to do was very simple, everyone could do that. Just picture the people there. Some died and some were half dead with their eyelids swollen because of the venom. It was killing them. And picture that kind of a person then, carried by his friends to get him within sight of the serpent on the pole. And you told that man, if you, if you, first of all, if you told that man, you gotta get up and go kiss the serpent. He couldn't do it. He's dying. He's dying. He couldn't do it. But they. But God said, all you gotta do is just look at the serpent, and you'll be healed. And that's what I was so impressed with it. With, with at the CEF booth is to telling the kids it's just as simple as A B C. A. Admit to God you're a sinner. B. Believe that God became a man and died for your sins. And C. Choose to trust in the Lord Jesus to save you from your sins. But before the snake-bitten man could look at the serpent on the pole, he had to trust. He had to trust in the words of Moses. He had to trust that really gonna happen in verse eight, and it shall come to pass, that's a promise, it shall come to pass, that everyone that is bitten when he looketh upon it shall live. So each person, he had to say to God, Lord, I have sinned, I've been bitten by the snake because of my sin. The venom is already at work in me. The venom is killing me. And you said, all I have to do is look at this snake on the pole and I'll live. And I believe you now as I now look at the pole. There had to be that faith. That was it. Nothing more, nothing less. Just follow God's simple command. And the person lived just like it says in Romans 10.9. Romans 10.9, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Just like that, he said, if she shall live. Now we read that Moses made the serpent. In verse eight, Moses said, the Lord said unto Moses, make the fiery serpent set on a pole. Moses quickly followed God's instructions, and he made this serpent out of brass. Now, brass, when the people saw brass, that was very familiar to them. Why? because the altar of the tabernacle, which they were carrying around there for the 40 years, 
That was made out of brass. You can go see that over there. And the people were used to seeing that altar and recognize with the brass, that means sacrifice. That means sacrifice. So he made it out of brass. The people knew that sacrifice was involved in their healing. And then Moses quickly got this made, put it up there. Time was urgent. We gotta get this serpent made. We gotta get it on the pole. We gotta get it up there. It's like today. We gotta get the gospel out. We gotta do it. There's an urgency about all this. And can't you just see that serpent there being lifted up on the high pole? And as, so that, put it higher, put it higher, get a longer pole. Put it way up there so that as many can see it as possible. Can't you just see that brass, that, that brass like a mirror in the sun just giving off these strong glitterings? It's very conspicuous. The fact that the brass serpent on the pole was so conspicuous, it speaks to us about how important it is to make the gospel strongly conspicuous by radio, by TV, by knocking on doors, or leaving a packet running, whatever, mailings, just like that serpent on the pole so it can be seen. It's not gonna do any good in the back of a car. It's only can be possibility of being seen if it's left on a doorstep. And it's interesting that God told Moses to make a serpent, the very animal that had that caused all the problem with the people. Look at this, that, that, that serpent represented the sin of the people. And when God the Son became a man, the Lord Jesus Christ, he took on flesh. But you know how that flesh is described in Romans 8.3? Romans 8.3, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. Not sinful flesh, but in the likeness of sinful flesh. That was not a real snake up there. That was a brass snake. And the Lord Jesus is like the brass serpent in that he came in the likeness of sinful flesh, but it was only a likeness because he never sinned. And on the cross, he became the sin offering for us like the sin offering that was burned on the brass altar of the tabernacle. And it's interesting that the serpent was put on the pole and lifted high above the ground, high above the ground. Not put on the ground where the other serpents were on the ground, but lifted over the ground with the message that God's remedy has power above those serpents on the ground. The Lord Jesus Christ was lifted high in the air to show that he has power over sin on earth. As it says in Colossians 2.15, Colossians 2.15, having spoiled the Lord Jesus, having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, conspicuously, triumphing over them by in it, over them. And then there was the working of the anti-venom with the words in, in verse nine, it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. This wonderful words, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. There's nothing more that a person had to do, just, be, just behold it, just like the salvation. There's nothing more that you have to do. There's nothing more, Titus 3.5, there's nothing of not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. There's nothing more. There's nothing like Ephesians 2.8, Ephesians 2.8, not of works, 2.8 and 9, not of works, lest any man should boast. For by grace are you saved through faith, 
that not of yourselves, that salvation was not from you. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But this word is so great, beheld. It's a great word because beheld, it has this meaning of a determined gaze of faith. It's like a long look. It's not a glance or a casual look. Yeah, look at that. Okay, I just, okay, well, I'm not healed. No, it, or, you know, uh, I'm a curious skeptic. But this is, the word behold, beheld here, it's got a meaning that the person is filled with all this belief, with all this expectation, I'm gonna be healed. Okay, and he's looking. And what happened? When a person beheld the snake on the pole, it says, verse nine, he lived. That's great words, he lived. The venom was powerful, but God's remedy was more powerful to overcome the venom. Yeah, just like Moses with the snakes. Yeah, they, the magicians, they threw down their rods, they became snakes, but then Moses' snake ate their snake. <laughs> and with these, see, with these words here, we see God can cure all. God can cure all from their sins. All a person has to do is just gaze on the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross and really expect really trust his words when he says in Isaiah 45, 22, Isaiah 45, 22, look unto me and be ye saved, all ye ends of the earth, for I am God, there's none else. So as with the serpent on a pole, to gaze with faith on the Lord Jesus Christ without any doubting is to live, that's to live, and not to gaze, it's to die. But only when he gazed, he lived. If he knew all that, if he knew what to do, but he didn't gaze, he died. And so it is today. Many people know the gospel. They've never gazed. They've never trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ to save them from their sins. And the record is so clear in 1 John 5, 11, when it says, this is the record that God has given to us eternal life. This life is in his son. He that hath the son hath life. He that hath not the son of God hath not life. All these truths came home about this, what happened here in the desert with the serpents. It all came home one night. One night when the chief teacher in Israel, a man named Nicodemus, came to the Lord Jesus Christ in this one night, and the Lord Jesus had to tell him in John 3.14, John 3.14, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in or believeth into him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in or believeth into him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So what do we see? In this history, of a snake venom and the snake on the pole is God's remedy for the venom. We see the Lord Jesus Christ saving from death, saving from the death by sin, the eternal death. And so therefore, we need to give ourselves to be the pole bearers, to lift up the pole so that many can see him and believe as those people did. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for making your remedies so simple. Lord, we're just amazed at how simple and clear your message is. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved.
Help us, Lord, to carry the messages home to our heart today. In Jesus' name, amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program was brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.